0: On the 5th of February 1922 hundreds of delegates attended the annual convention of mBan, which was held in the Mansion House in Dublin. The convention was called so that the women of mBan could vote on whether they as an organisation should accept or reject the Anglo-Irish Treaty. The convention was a hugely important event. The newspapers of the day all reported on it yet it has been somewhat neglected and overlooked in the narrative of the lead up to the Irish Civil War. Joining me in studio to discuss what happened at the convention and the aftermath is historian Dr Mary McAuliffe, director of gender studies at University College Dublin and also the biographer of Margaret Skinner, one of the women who in fact attended the convention amongst uh, many other aspects of a fascinating life. Mary, the Doll voted to accept the treaty as we know in January of 1922, Common didn't hang around because a month later, before the IRA actually met to decide their attitude, they called their convention. But not all the branches of Common were represented. What happened to ensure that there wasn't a kind of a full quota, full attendance?
1: Well, um, obviously, the executive of Cuminamon had already uh, made their position clear prior to the convention and and they were in the majority anti-treaty. And when the convention is called then for the 5th of February 1922... Only just over 320 branches attend, and we reckon there would be upwards of between 650 and 700 branches of amon in late 1921, 1922 in existence. So that isn't a huge amount. Now, there are a number of issues. There was a rail strike in Munster, so it stopped a lot of the Cork and Kerry branches coming up, and, and they reckon about 33 of those branches, particularly from around Cork would have been anti-treaty so we could possibly add them in. There was also the fact that a lot of the pro-treaty women talked about the fact that it seemed uh, you know, accepted that the Cuminamon Convention would go anti-treaty and perhaps the pro-treaty women weren't particularly welcome. People like Jenny Wise Power were talking about the fact that the nights before the treaty as women delegates arrived there were discussions and a rigging rigging going on of the voting. So because the executive had already gone that way and the six women TDs had all voted against the treaty, including Countess Markovic, of course, who was president of Cumin you don't have a huge attendance of the anti-treaty. And Cal McCarthy has done some interesting work in his book on the convention numbers. And just to give you an idea, of the 375 branches in Munster in 1921, only 80 come to Dublin in 1922 to the convention with the 33 standard. Leinster had 188, only 144 come to the convention. So you see, there is less than 50% attendance. But then of the 50% who didn't attend, could you say they were all anti-treaty or pro-treaty? And the thing is... We can't know. We know some of them would have been pro-treaty, but I would argue not enough of them would have been pro-treaty had they all been there to actually overturn that anti-treaty vote. I mean, the
0: 50% who did attend were an interesting straw poll, to put it mildly, and the result was overwhelmingly against the
1: treaty. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There was only a few pro-treatyites there, including some of the senior leaders now. Somebody like Jenny Wise Power and Min Mulcahy were very, very important and they make very good speeches for the treaty and they leave then once the vote has been taken. But overwhelmingly, they went with Mary McSweeney's proposal on what they were to vote on.
0: Interestingly, though, I mean, I think the point has been made that the, the six female members of Dáil Aaron have... Skin in the game, as it were. I mean, everybody had skin in the game, but they, in particular, they were related to, you know, to in many cases, uh-huh. the case of Mary McSweeney, uh, uh, in the case of a number of them, um, Kathleen Clark, for example, that they had brothers, husbands who had died. The Common amount Convention is is quite different. They're they're not speaking on behalf of dead Republican heroes, they're speaking on behalf of themselves.
1: Well, even Mary McSweeney is speaking on behalf of herself because the, the resolution she puts forward is the Executive Common Man reaffirms the allegiance to the Republic, that is the proclamation obviously, and the Republic declared in 1916, and therefore cannot support the Articles of Agreement signed in Dublin on December 6, 1921. So they're all speaking from the standpoint of an ideology. Even Margaret Skinner, as you mentioned, whose biography I wrote, Her main point in her speech to the convention is that she could not recognise that anyone who took the oath of allegiance could be a true Irish man or indeed Irish woman. So really, speaker after speaker give impassioned and resolute declarations that they cannot sign the treaty because of their ideological and political standpoints, particularly around the oath. There is some mention of the border, but not a lot. But It's mostly about the oath and the treaty ports are mentioned and that betrayal, that sense of betrayal of the Republic that was declared in 1916. And the proclamation had always been a, st- a touchstone for political women. Not just about the republic, but because it guaranteed equal rights and equal opportunities in that republic for women as well. So for them, that was there and it will continue on into the free state with Kathleen Clark, Jenny Wisepower, ironically, harking back to that proclamation when they're resisting the anti-women legislation that will be coming down the line, as we know now.
0: And did the debate in any way parallel the debate that had taken place the previous month in Dáil Éireann in the sense, I mean, you mentioned, for example, that partition did not feature very highly. The Oath of Allegiance was far more, uh, was far more important. The fact that the de- delegation had not come back with a republic was far more important. That would seem to parallel what was uh-huh. going on in in Daul as well.
1: Yes, and on the other side, the few anti-treat or few pro-treaty who did speak, Jenny power herself. Talk about the uh, stepping stone argument, freedom to achieve freedom. the freedom to mm. achieve freedom, exactly as as Collins and Griffith had put forward, and they will use that when they go on to set up Cumann na after they split with Cumann Éireann. But Max Sweeney and the other speakers against the treaty carry the floor overwhelmingly.
0: Now, the the fact that there wasn't that much discussion of partition, which was also the case in the Dáil debates as well, there's a certain logic to that, isn't there? Not that people were uninterested, about partition and uninterested in the fact that a border had, in effect, of not the physical border hadn't been created at that stage, but would, would a few years down the line. But there was a certain logic uh, to a non-discussion of partition, wasn't there, on the part of anti-treatyites in particular.
1: Well, you know, obviously the border had already been been in place and, and it had become slightly normalised that there was a Northern Ireland executive of Northern Ireland government. But also they needed to get things sorted in the South, in in their own uh, relationships between you know, were they going to accept this treaty? If this treaty was going to be accepted, the border was going to become hardened. Uh, If you rejected it, then the uh, issue of the border becomes a moot point really because the war continues. So the discussion is more about what they're ideologically opposed to, which is the oath and that continuing relationship with Britain because they want that republic. And Mm. you know, the treaty goes away, the Republic again becomes an option.
0: Um, now, Common an organisation that I think would be very unfamiliar to most people.
1: Yes, well, it doesn't last very long. It's only there for uh, almost two years. But within a month of the split, of the vote and the split, there is an ad in the newspaper for the setting up of a new women's group supportive of the treaty. And they have a meeting again in the Mansion House and 700 women turn up. And what they want to do, and Mrs Connolly, Sean Connolly makes a statement to uh, set up a group of women uh, to show that not all the women of Ireland were against the treaty. And this was a, again, a stepping stone argument was made by the women. What happens once Cumin the Saoirse is set up, it becomes much more a support to the National Army, but it doesn't become militant in the same way as the anti-treaty coming Amman.
0: When we talk in terms of the Civil War, the expression brother against brother is used a lot, but there must have been a lot of sister against sister. There must have been a lot of sundered relationships, Mm -hmm. relationships that had been very, very close, uh, that effectively end when the Civil War begins.
1: Oh, they do. Um, I mean, the common the the, Comin- Mon, the anti-treaty among Comin- women become very bitter about the Common Saoirse women who also act as woman searchers for the National Army and the uh, state police because uh, obviously you need women to search the among Comin- women. And we know like hundreds of among Comin- women are arrested. So they're acting as that both inside and out of prison. They're there when the among Comin- women are moved from Kilmainham and Mountjoy to North Dublin Union. There's a lot of violence, which the Common Saoirse women, and they're called Comin- the Search by the, the Komen Oman women, they, they are gathering intelligence work. So they're using their connections with their erstwhile comrades to get intelligence on the anti-treaty IRA and Komen Oman. But you have families who are split, the Rhine family, or very famously so, you know, the Ryans of Tom Cool, Men Mulcahy, Men Ryan, that was, uh, married to Richard Mulcahy. Her sister Nell Ryan ends up in Kilmainham jail and on strike as an anti-treaty coming her. And Richard Mulcahy does nothing to stop the uh, poor Nell on her, her hunger strike in Kilmainham. And it is said much later um, that the Ryan family, when they would go back to Tom Cool to visit always said the only way they could keep the family together is nobody talk about politics because they were it split down the middle, pro and anti-treaty. Kathleen Brown, for example, who is a senator later in the Irish Free State Senate, best friends with Nell Ryan, both from Wexford, South Wexford, best friends with Nell Ryan in their early years, split on the treaty. Kathleen Brown says Nell Ryan is trying to get the anti-treaty IRA to assassinate her. She gets the national soldiers to go and attack Nell Ryan's house. They never speak again. Jenny Wise Power, in whose shop the proclamation had been written prior to 1916, her businesses are targeted and firebombed. So you have all of this nastiness going on. So it is very much that sister against sister as well. And I think we have to see that as a very broad aspect of the Civil War. It's not just the men. The women are absolutely split as well.
0: Now, the 1922 general election obviously becomes very, very important and a uh, very interesting conundrum here because Sinn Féin policy was very much that women over the age of 21, because in 1918 women it was women over the age of 30, but the women over the age of 21 should be allowed to vote. The first election where that becomes possible is 1922. It doesn't happen. No. What, what goes wrong? Why not?
1: Well, there—it's funny. Suffrage becomes a hot talking point again in 1922, and again, it's—it's it's interesting how women's history takes a kind of different chronology than than male history. Even in the decade of centenaries, we think in you know 2018 we did the whole commemoration of suffrage, but actually it's back again in 22 because there is the promise that women will have the same access to suffrage as men, but if the the register isn't updated the June election will only have women over the age of 30 voting. So Kate O'Callaghan, the TD, who had voted against the treaty and was the widow of the Lord Mayor, Mayor of Cork who'd been assassinated by the Black and Tans, moves uh, an article of legislation that the uh, register be updated for all women over the age of 21. Collins and Griffith resist saying, you know, oh, it can't be done in time and we really can't be having that now and, and you know it's going to be in the Constitution. There are delegations sent in with Hannah Shee, Skeffington, with many of the other women who had been, uh, you know, suffrage campaigners. Interestingly, Jenny Wise Power, who had been a suffrage campaigner as well, and who you would think would support this, feels she can't support it because she sees what they are doing. They are people who are against the treaty, who want the younger women to be able to vote. And then the potential is that many or the majority of women under the age of 30 will vote anti-treaty and that could actually defeat the treaty in the June election or defeat the the treaty candidates. So the Common Saoirse women, despite many of them having been suffragettes in their day, cannot support that campaign to get the register updated. Collins and Griffiths refused to do anything about it and the June election happens with only women over the age of 30 being able to vote now whether or not if we had the younger women voted the treaty would have been defeated I don't think so I don't think there was enough of them to carry it that it wasn't
0: really even close and we? it wasn't that close it was two to and, one in yeah. terms of pro and anti treaty Sinn yes. and then all the other uh, parties the independence and labour and farmers party were all pro treaty were
1: all pro treaty well. and plus not all of the younger women were anti treaty mm. anyway but they weren't going to take that chance.
0: Now, there's been a lot of work done during the decade of centenaries, including, you know, people like yourself, which has brought the women's stories back into, thankfully, the general narrative. Uh, this year, you're determined not to let the centenary of the Common d'Amane Convention uh, go unmarked. How are you marking it? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I I had recognised that or noticed that um, nobody was doing anything about this convention uh, in early February, and I think it's a very very important meeting to mark, but also a very important moment in the history of militant and political women's organisation in this country, when a split. So I had some seed funding left over, thanks to UCD Decade of Centenaries. And I just decided to organise an online symposium, which will be on the 25th of February from 2 to 4 p.m. with great speakers, uh, Leanne Lane, Margaret Ward, Katrina Bowman, chaired by Fanula Walsh. I'll be speaking myself to mark what happened in February 1922 in the biggest women's organisation, really, that was in early 20th century Ireland and the most important and the impact legacies and memories of that split. So, February
0: 25th. And we put all the details of the symposium on our website. We wish you every success with it. It sounds like there'll be some fascinating talks. So, If anyone would like to know more about what Mary has been talking about this evening, make sure to uh, to book your ticket for that uh, symposium. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for coming in on the show to talk about this hugely important event that happened 100 years ago this month. That's all we've time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. Our researcher is Liz Gillis. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer, Morgan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening.